imagine the world wasn't like it is. Well, I mean, there'd still be that guy, and that guy, and the one who needs the eye test. But there's also sexy literature. It's not until her shirt is coincidentally ripped open during a fight with the winged wivens of the northern wastes, revealing her creamy breasts, that Dermian realises the archer he has been befriending is his left-behind love. Water. Cravings. Hunger. A deep, aching longing. Try half a glass of water. It won't fix everything, but it'll help a bit. Jim's Gym and Gymnasium. Have you been pumping your booty? Booties are in. They used to be out, but now they're in, by which I mean to say they should stick out. That's good now. Join me, Alice Fraser, on The Last Post. It's like the bugle, but shorter, hornier, weirder and dailier. Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers. It's Friday the 12th of June, 2020. Britain is in a record-breaking slump. Donald Trump is treating America like a spoilt child's unwanted Christmas Lego set. Everyone is arguing with everyone else about everything. And I think the virus now is getting close to complacency, which I think has been our government strategy all along in Britain. Just wait until it can't be asked anymore because there's no challenge. But the Bugle... Is still here. The Bugle is here. I am Andy Zoltz and this is issue 4,156 of the world's leading and only audio newspaper for a visual world. Don't forget, if you're listening immediately, by which I mean on Saturday the 13th of June, um, uh, tonight at 8pm UK time is the inaugural Bugle Live live-streamed live quiz. Um, it's a genuine quiz with genuine factual answers. Um, that that's a fact, even if some of those answers are about fictional things. Uh, it will be live on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook. Uh, anything else, Chris? Uh, that depends how well my planning goes between this record and that time. Right, OK. So, I mean, let's assume that it is going to happen and it's uh, it's going to work. It will also be available not live afterwards. Quite how you're going to submit your uh, answers. Uh, uh, that's still slightly up in the air. But anyway, uh, do uh, tune in either live or retrospectively, depending on when you listen to this. Uh, this is, as I said, issue 4156, coincidentally, the number of separate reasons for taking down the statue of Robert Clive, which currently stands outside the Foreign Office in London, and uh, also the uh, predicted number of times, 4,156, uh, that two people can say the lines, but it's erasing our history, and no, it's obviously not doing that, before they have to end the conversation and have a snack, more of which later in the show. And joining me um, uh, this week are Nish Kumar, uh, from uh, uh, from London. Now, Nish, uh, you have just um, been the recipient of some science. Yeah, um, uh, Andy, I'm uh, I'm committing to satire by living out a new story. I had a COVID test right up my nose. Um, <laughs> it's uh, they take a, a very long, thin cotton bud Q-tip for American listeners, um, and then uh, they shove it down uh, your throat. Uh, for British listeners, your gob. Um, and yeah, so they, it goes down the throat, and then they uh, they shove it up your nose. Now, uh, a lot of people have been saying, you know, a lot of people are saying it's incredibly uncomfortable and it hurts a lot. Um, what I would say is, you know, it's it, it, there's a it feels fine, and then there's a point where it goes a bit further than you anything has ever really gone in your life, and you start to feel it in your eye. <laughs> Now, it was mild discomfort for me, and a lot of people have complained of quite heavy discomfort, and I didn't really feel it. And what I now realise is there's quite a bit more of my nose uh, to go up than most people's nose. 
there's quite a lot there's quite a lot there's quite fur, it's got further to travel and so that may be why I've not uh, not had to you know experience it it was also part of a you know regularly scheduled uh, appointment that I have with the doctors and what that means Andy is I have uh, looked a man in the eye and handed him a bottle of my own piss today and nothing <laughs> makes me feel more alive than passing urine to a stranger nothing makes me feel more in control of my destiny than handing over a vial of my own urine to a medical professional and say, have a look at that, do your worst. <laughs> a, a moving story in these uh, these troubled times. And uh, joining us from the west coast of the world's silliest country, it's Nato Green. Hello, Andy. Uh, sorry, what what's that? I, I can't hear you. There are helicopters everywhere. Uh <laughs> It's mayhem here. I, I'm about to chuck a Mazel Tov cocktail into a police van. <laughs> Take that, you coppers! Uh, protesters and police seem to be... What are they doing right now? It's a break-off. There's a breakdancing battle on the roof of a burning bus right now. A patrol officer just brought out his own linoleum for a snappy knee spin. The social. It turns out that Sergeant McGillicuddy is not as good as breakdancing as a group of young black people and socialists. <laughs> they are doing synchronized popping and locking. I think they will prevail. <laughs> oh, I love a bit of popping and locking. Um, that was uh, easily my uh, my favourite TV comedy double act of the 1970s, but obviously some of their work is a, a little dated. Now, um, uh, the, <laughs> we're recording on the 12th of June. On this day in the year 1381, the Peasants' Revolts in England reached Blackheath, now in South East London, um, before then uh, storming the city over the following couple of days. The revolt, uh, the Peasants' Revolt, was provoked, if I may oversimplify for a moment, by a combination of disease, economic inequality, poor leadership, tension with Europe and anger about exploitation. Isn't history a smug, repetitive bastard? Um, <laughs> On this day in 1817, the earliest form of bicycle, known as the dandy horse, was driven by its inventor, <laughs> Carl von Dreis. Um, years later, uh, von Dreis admitted to systematic use of steroids and blood doping products uh, when inventing the bicycle and the dandy horse was retrospectively banned. Uh, also uh, on this... Chris, you're nodding there as a, uh, as a, as a cycling fan. You, uh, have you ever ridden a dandy horse? I mean, yes... I mean, I ride a dandy horse every, every day. I am a dandy horse. <laughs> <laughs> um, also on this day in history, lots of people did lots of really awful things, but you wouldn't know it to look at the sculptures of them. Jeez, something. <laughs> As always, the section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin this week. We've had the launch of the PlayStation 5 games console. We review some of the... Uh, New HOTS and some very topical games that have been launched alongside the new console, including EA Protest Statue Toppler 2021, Steve Bannon's Bile Blaster 14, uh, and Dominic Cummings' Bareface Bullshit 6.1. Some uh, terrific games uh, for your new uh, console. Also, uh, look out for Scluton Malvane's Angry Chef 3. Those cleavers are more realistic than ever. Uh, and uh, also, we look at some of the rival consoles to the uh, PlayStation to help keep you and your loved ones and your brain distracted from the harrowing realities of lockdown reality, including the uh, Flunky Tech Brain Squelcher, the Myth Muddler Deludac 6G, and the Vega Me Megawap, all uh, excellent at cocooning your children from reality for those crucial developmental years. That section, in the bin. 
Top story this week, America still angry. Um, NATO, you are quite literally in America as we speak. You've described the scenes of mayhem unfold. How is the, how is the, the, the break dance off going? The officers are doing the word now. You're right. Uh, so uh, there's been some progress. Um, look, Andy, uh, last month I was on and we had some fun jokes about the 10 plagues. Uh, we have a pandemic. We have an economic crisis. Remember our amusing chat about murder hornets? Oh, Forget yeah. it. Now we have <laughs> na- nationwide martial law, police riots, and a worldwide insurrection against racism. What else you got, 2020? Bring it on. <laughs> oh, wildfires too? That's it. F*** you. We're leaving it all on the field this year. <laughs> we're getting done. We're doing all of the history this year, and then we're done. So... <laughs> Um, it's, uh, Andy, you and I are, are very similar. Uh, we're both, we're Jewish comics. We're both about the same age. We're both dads. We're married to people who are more educated than us. And we're both most known for our more famous friends. Um, (laughs) the difference is that as you said on the bugle last week, as all hell breaks loose, like you're the kind of person who seeks comfort and shelter in 50 year old cricket sports stats and puns. I, on the other hand, have never felt so alive. My, <laughs> my veins are on fire. For the, for a revolutionary like me, this, this is my time. It makes my dick hard. Uh, so it's that amazing. Be, when, when they build a, a, a statue of you, NATO, for the future generations to topple, when they look back at what you've said on the show, that will be inscribed on it. It makes my dick hard. Let me tell you, like... I'm so excited. I have so much to share. What I'm, what I'm about to say could be profound or a suicide note. I don't know. First of all, we're lit, in America right now, no one is in charge. Uh, there are no adults in the room. We are completely off the map. Every current politician has been reduced to incoherent shivering like a hairless terrier on a trampoline. Uh, there have been protests in all 50 states, 140 cities against racist police violence, Following the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, day after day of mass disruption, tens of thousands of people out, National Guard in 20 states, six people killed by police subsequently. Uh, you may ask, why, like, how did this come about? Well, there are 40 million unemployed people who've been stuck at home for three months, scared and anxious. No, There's no leadership. There's no sport. There's no religion. No other activity that we would normally have to distract and occupy and placate us. We have finished the Internet. Uh, so there's no how many more times can you watch the director's cut of Lord of the Rings before like we've just reached it's either bake bread or overthrow the government and those are the only options now left to the American like Marie Antoinette territory that is isn't it so George Floyd was killed uh, on May 25th by the police in Minneapolis two days earlier on May 23rd noted black power periodical The Economist uh, ran a story and the, and the article said, whatever happened to Black Lives Matter, uh, no one cares anymore, <laughs> which will rank as one of the most prescient and prophetic news headlines <laughs> since the Washington Post 1979 headline describing rap music as a short-lived fad. Uh, <laughs> sorry, The Economist, life comes at you fast. Uh, have, are you familiar with the idea of the Overton window? This is like the it refers to the the range of acceptable political discourse 
And on the issue of racist police, the Overton window has not just moved. It's packed its bag. It's moved across the country. It's gone to another house. It's opened up a co-op. It's making its own kombucha. It's playing tuba in a marching band. It's old friends and family like, come back, Overton window. We miss you. We want to get back to the war on drugs. And the Overton window just says, F- you. You never understood me. Uh, I, I don't know if you have. I have spent time in Latin America. And what re- is happening in the United States right now reminds me of that, like, just no pretense that there's a functioning society. Like, it's very refreshing, actually. You, you <laughs> arrive in a town and you're like, oh, my God, what happened? Why is there no clean water supply? And people go, oh, yeah, the government sold it so they could buy the president's son a catapult. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but because of my, my yeah. time... Just don't, don't say these things out loud, like NATO. We know that Boris Johnson and Donald Trump both listen to this podcast assiduously. We can't take these risks to make these things, say these things out loud. Some people are afraid that we're on the verge of fascism, that Trump is about to suspend democracy, hold a coup d'etat, and install a military junta. I think Trump will have difficulty pulling off a coup d'etat because he doesn't believe in French. Uh, because... <laughs> Uh, because of my time in Latin America, no matter how bad things get in the U.S., I think, are there literal CIA-trained and armed death squads disappearing entire villages? No? <laughs> then we haven't hit bottom. Uh, Trump is so inadequate to the task of uniting a troubled nation with the cities are burning. There's a temptation to make near- comparisons to Nero, but at least Nero could fiddle. Um, <laughs> Trump rage tweeting, complaining about female journalists he found unattractive while crouched on the toilet trying to squeeze a jigger of urine around his cantaloupe prostate while America burned doesn't quite have quite the staying power, does it? Uh, Trump threatened, Can we have a t-shirt made with that image? Trump threatened to deploy the military to cities whose leaders were unta- unable to contain the violence themselves and then threatened to designate Antifa as a terrorist organization. Uh, we now have a new frontrunner for the whitest shit in history, which is asking to speak to the manager of Antifa. Uh, Antifa is not an organization that has like articles of incorporation and a board of directors and a postal box. They don't have a convention in a conference room at the Radisson where they make decisions by Robert's Rules of Order Parliamentary Procedure. Uh, Sir, gentlemen, we have a resolution to punch Nazis in the face. Can I get a second? <laughs> it's, it's an abstract concept. It's like designating goths as a terrorist organization. Just because you're not into it doesn't mean black eyeliner and the cure is Al-Qaeda. <laughs> oh, my God. What have I done? I have like three more pages of notes here. Oh, no. <laughs> keep, keep, keep going. Keep going. Uh, so Trump is, a, is relaunching campaign rallies, and to ensure safety in light of the COVID, COVID exposure from an indoor rally packed ass-to-mouth with a heaving throng of bigots and zealots, the Trump <laughs> campaign is adopting additional sensible safety precautions, like requiring attendees to sign a liability waiver so that you can't sue the campaign if you get coronavirus at, virus at the rally. Now, you might dismiss this as a stupid idea, but think of all the ways that not suing Trump will keep people from getting COVID. They won't have to physically go to court to file the legal complaint. They won't have to sit in a conference room up close during a deposition. And if you claim you have COVID in a lawsuit, you have to prove it by drooling violently on opposing counsel until they get COVID. And that's called habeas corpus. Uh, so now we can avoid that hassle. See, there's a lot of benefits. Well, it's, it's quite interesting, this, that the um, having to sign a waiver so that they can't sue if they get COVID at, at a rally 
of the man who basically facilitated and encouraged the spread of of the disease. Is this is this just peak peak Trumpian America? This it can't it can't go much further up. It's, I mean, he couldn't really lay his cards more firmly on the table than saying. You cannot sue us if you get the disease that we have spread. He could, I mean, he couldn't lay his. I mean, the cards he's laid on the table. He's basically put his hand down and said, "I've got five kings, six aces, a magic penguin, and a giant Pokemon G triple X card of me humping a naked meow stick." I mean, that basically. And when you say you signed a waiver by voting for Trump, basically America just signed a waiver to fucking <laughs> everything. <didn't it? laughs> yeah. Well, but that, it, it, I don't think we should go down that rabbit hole, Andy, because that's like that's not like a that's. A lot of America had that waiver signed for them against their explicit consent. <laughs> Andy, now you say that he couldn't uh, that he couldn't lay his on the, his cards on the table more, but in fact he did because uh, I don't know if you caught this detail about Trump's campaign rally, but the first campaign rally is on June nineteenth, which is deliberately chosen. It is Juneteenth. It is the celebrates the day that slaves found out that they were free at the end of the Civil War. So uh, it is as though he laid his cards on the table and then set the entire table on fire. Uh, (laughs) And then he's holding the rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is the site of the biggest race riot in American history in 1921, when white people were so angry that a black man whistled at a white woman that they brought fighter planes... (laughs) To bomb a neighborhood. So uh, that's Trump for you. Yeah, uh, K- Kamala Harris, the former Democratic presidential candidate, tweeted of this rally, this isn't just a wink to white supremacists. He's throwing them a welcome home party. <laughs> um. <laughs> now, I don't know if you have ever tussled with police uh, or I have been arrested for protesting many times. A-, a lot of the conflict with police has to do with their impatience. Like they say, go do you got to do something. And you say no. And then they get all macho and jacked up and demand that you obey, and then they start beating you. Um, once, I, I, when I got arrested during the Iraq War, we all went limp. And so the police came, and they tried to pull me up, and, uh, and I went limp. And, and then they just took my hand so gently, and they said, if you don't walk out of here, we're going to break your wrist. Uh, and then they started to break my wrist. Right. Um, well, at least they were honest about it. They gave, yeah, gave, they, you, gave you a little heads up. And that, that's what's great, Here that's he what's is, great about... Andy Zaltzman, the ultimate <laughs> cop defender. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's what's great about being white, is that you get a 10-second warning before they break your wrist. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, that be a wrist as well, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so what cops don't seem to want to figure out is that most of those problems can be solved by waiting. Like, the protesters won't clear out because they're sitting in. At some point, someone's going to have to pee. Uh... <laughs> Someone's freaking out. Uh, keep a safe distance so they don't hurt anyone else, and then uh, and then they're going to get sleepy. So the demand has been to defund the police. Some people are saying abolish the police, uh, and and uh, you know in some cities in America the police department takes up more than fifty percent of the city budget, and then uh, you know people want to shift funding to social workers and mental health services and things of that nature. And it's fascinating to like see uh, see the kind of the debate about the nuances of the detail. Some people uh, believe that anything less than immediately requiring all cops to eat my entire asshole and then fire <laughs> them into the sun uh, is a sellout <laughs> position if it's not that. And then on the other hand, we have national Democrats like Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi who are offering the big ideas the moment requires, like more training 
that what they, they saw the video of that cop killing George Floyd and thought, yeah, you know what that man really needs is a seminar. Uh, <laughs> the protests themselves have been in, uh, bananas. I don't know like how much you're seeing about the details of the protests. Like, okay, marches, cool, set a police car on fire. But, oh, what's that? A cavalry of black horsemen. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> Didn't even know that was on the menu. Uh, Seattle protesters had escalating confrontations with the police until they routed police out of a neighborhood, occupied City Hall, and declared the Capitol Hill neighborhood the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, or CHAZ. Uh, CHAZ is short for Charles, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Region of Lower East Seattle, of course. Uh, Fox News is incensed. Right-wing media and Twitter is having a field day. President Trump is threatening to invade Seattle to restore order. And uh, I went and looked at some pictures and videos from Chaz. It's disgusting, lawless, and decadent. People turning public parks into farms and growing food on them. Drawing (laughs) art on the sidewalk in chalk. Teaching each other about harm reduction and self-care. And, if you can believe this, they actually watched the documentary Paris is Burning about the gay voguing scene in New York in the late 80s. It's documentary art learning. It's a slippery slope, I tell you, that will lead to listening and learning and empathy. And this will not stand. Um, And my favorite thing uh, is public comment. I don't know if you have this in the UK, but... In the states, often there are go- at government hearings, they're required to allow public comment, and so you get one or two, sometimes three minutes to say your piece. And frequently, there's like an obscure cable channel that airs the public comment. And this was my bit. Like I would go and do public comment at hearings, and it's it, as a comic, it's great because you get to watch the hearing, and then you get to roast your political adversaries to their. <laughs> faces uh, in a situation where no one agreed that there was going to be comedy happening uh, so it's really fun and so but uh, the American people are just going off at public comment like there's public comment video after public comment video just of people screaming fuck you to police like there was a guy at an LA police commission hearing and uh, this video a new American hero called in uh, let, I just want to read you a list of some of the things that have been said in, in, uh, in public comment in San Francisco, there was a hearing about the police budget, and there were nine hours of public comment that stretched to three in the morning, and the police commissioners had to sit and listen the entire time to person <laughs> after person. And here are some things that people actually said to the government uh, in the hearings. Choke on a dick and die. Losers, get a job. Learn to code. Could you possibly be more of a bunch of failures? F*** you. I yield my time. Uh these killer cops have gotten away uh, uh, with murder, and instead of life in prison, they're now getting a shorter sentence, which is choke on a dick and die. Um, so, finally, I will say, uh, uh, Trump is, uh, the polling is on this, uh, finally I will say that the polling has swung dramatically. Public support for Black Lives Matter has jumped 25% in the last two weeks. Uh, tr- so right now, Trump is polling at 42%. Joe Biden is polling at 46%. And uh, there is 54% support in the United States for literally burning down a police station in Minneapolis. So burning down the police is more popular than either president candidate for president. So, which raises the obvious question that if 54% of people support burning down a police station... What are the views of the other 46%? Uh, and, I, and I dug into it. 12% said, don't burn down the police station. 
And 23% said, why only burn one police station? Burn them all. (laughs) 5% said, stack all the police stations on top of each other and then tip them over. And then there were 6% who said, I wanted to burn the police station and you took it away from me. So that's the state of America right now. Right, so we can look forward, if, that, if, that, if the polling continues, we can look forward to President Burning Police Station being inaugurated in January in the most incendiary uh, inauguration speech ever seen. I the country's wait. finally feeling the burn. They're just feeling it differently. <laughs> it's a very exciting time for me, personally. White people have recently discovered that racism is bad. Some of us uh, learned that the hard way a few years ago, but I am (laughs) really genuinely excited to bring whiteies over uh, into the fold. Um, People have been uh, observing um, uh, things like uh, sort of Blackout Tuesday where they uh, didn't reply to any emails because they were thinking about racism. Uh, And that lasted for a day, uh, which I think we can all agree is definitely enough time to grasp the historical complexities (laughs) of institutionalised and systemic racism. that is a national record, Nish. Don't just don't just <laughs> bat it off. <laughs> it's it and uh, it was well, very exciting for me uh, yesterday to see a uh, another video of uh, some Hollywood celebrities uh, engaging uh, with racism. Um, it, it was a video where lots of different uh, Hollywood celebrities said that they uh, they take responsibility uh, for racism. Um, it's it's an odd old affair. <laughs> I mean, I would I would argue. It was. It's a. I mean, look. This, the bit where Bryce Dallas Howard personally apologises for ignoring police brutality is very surprising because I did not know that she. I mean, she's responsible for some bad things. The Jurassic World movies f-ing suck, sure, but I didn't realise she was also complicit in systematic police violence towards African Americans. The bit where Stanley Tucci apologises for laughing at racist jokes. How many racist jokes you've been laughing at, Tucci? What parties you've been attending, Tucci? I got, I got to admit, we did not know that that was happening at all. But the biggest relief uh, is that uh, earlier this week, uh, it was promised by uh, Ben Carson, the brain surgeon, and those words need to be restated <laughs> as often as possible, especially immediately after you've heard Ben Carson say anything. Ben Carson, the neurosurgeon, the paediatric, the man who operates on children's brains, uh, was trotted out to say that President Trump was going to uh, deliver a speech uh, on racism. Uh, and that speech was going to be delivered by Stephen Miller, a man who looks like the villain in an upcoming Disney film, but also the hero in a Disney film that's recently been pulled off of a streaming service. (laughs) Now, the sweet relief uh, about all of this is that that speech thus far, and I'm not saying he's not going to do it, there's obviously a time difference, uh, thus far that speech has not materialised, which is the only piece of good news to happen in the last half decade that Donald Trump (laughs) did not give a speech about possibly the only thing that could make the situation worse is if Donald Trump delivered a speech on racism written by Stephen Miller they are the Lennon and McCartney (laughs) of white nationalism right it's that is not what anyone needs and I think at this point we have to submit Donald Trump for the Nobel Peace Prize for the time he didn't give a speech about racism (laughs) Martin Luther King had a dream And we heard about it and it was great. Donald Trump presumably also had a dream, but we did not hear about it, which is a relief because it was probably as racist as it was disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, here in Britain, we've been um, 
Well, as you say, Nish, somewhat, somewhat belatedly, finally starting to uh, to, to examine uh, the uh, the influence of uh, of racism in this country, the role it still plays, and our and our slave trading past. Um, just after we recorded last week, and I suggested melting down um, uh, statues from uh, questionable historical eras and turning them into puppies, uh, the public of Bristol took a different attitude and tore down a sculpture of Edward Colston, um, a, a slave trader from the 17th and 18th centuries, and lobbing it into the harbour. Uh, since then, various statues have been removed, toppled, daubed, uh, with uh, varying degrees of justification, some <laughs> mostly very justified. And it's it's odd, isn't it? Because as a as a country, we are obsessed with our own history, but only a version of it that is wrong. Um, so uh, th- there's a famous saying that the past is a foreign country, and ironically, it's the only foreign country that we're actually positive about in Britain. Um, albeit that we don't really, we only go to the touristy bits and don't actually n- learn what life was really is really like there. Um, Another famous saying, those who fail to learn the lessons of history are condemned to repeat them. And I don't think we're failing to learn the lessons of history. But what we do is we actively choose to ignore the lessons of history. And then we're condemned to be a bit surprised when people tell us what actually happened in history. Um, The um, historian William Dalrymple, who's written a lot about, uh, in particular, about the uh, East India Company and uh, the history of uh, of Britain's uh, relationship with uh, India, uh, said there is in Britain a vast ignorance of our own history but I, I don't think that's right i think it's not so much a vast ignorance as an active delusion about about our history um as we've uh, we've seen played out this week a lot of people have been drawing a comparison between the year 2020 and the film the joker and i have to agree because i think this year is exactly like the joker in that i think it's f***ing awful and it's barely <laughs> halfway through and i wish this shit was f***ing over right <laughs> it's it's an exhausting year and at this point, Outlook, Gmail, whatever the email servers need to club together and program or do something to the algorithm that gives us a new email template that starts, hello, I hope this email finds you well, apart from all of the everything, and <laughs> yours faithfully slash in hope that you're not murdered by a disease or police violence. It's. I only just realised that this year uh, is the same year that in the movie A Quiet Place... Uh, an alien invasion happens in 2020. That's when it happens. Uh, And an alien invasion happens that means that people all have to hide indoors and not make any sound. And I'm not saying that the actual 2020 is worse. But what I am saying is that if we had to be silent all the time, I wouldn't have to listen to people saying all lives matter and this lockdown is for pussies. And this week, I would not have had to listen repeatedly to people say, I think it is a fantastic idea that we have statues of slave traders in our cities. Now, the defence of these statues is two-pronged. There's a lot of people saying, well, isn't this a part of our past? And that's not the question you should be asking. The question you should be asking is, why was there a f***ing statue of a slave trader here in the first place? Another prong is that people say, well, the thing is, this is how you learn about it. This is how you learn about uh, the past and Britain's past. All I'm saying is, at school, I managed to learn long division without there being a f***ing statue of it in the middle of Croydon. (laughs) I somehow managed to wrap my mind around that concept without having a huge statue of it. (laughs) And also, the worst thing about it is that the statues are up, but I studied history all the way through secondary school, up to degree level, and at no point, without me doing voluntary study, did I study anything about the British Empire, right? British history in schools is basically Henry VIII... 
Mr. Darcy, Second World War. We are obsessed with the Second World War. And the reason we're obsessed with the Second World War is it's the only time in history where we were the good guys. NATO, I have to tell you, Hamilton is playing in London like the f***ing Sixth Sense. It is a huge twist ending for British people that it turns out we were the bad guys. (laughs) Uh, a lot of people have been, been making this point of how, how statues. We learn, we learn from from these statues. Boris Johnson, in a, in a series of tweets, said we cannot now try to edit or censor our past, which is a bit rich from someone who regularly tries to edit and censor our present, um, and you know, not release, for example, inquiries into ru- Russian interference in our in our democratic process. Who puts up bullshit adverts telling massive lies to try and influence uh, influence referendums, for example? We cannot pretend to have a different history. He said, that is arguably the biggest lie he's ever told. That is what we do in this country. We pretend to have a different history. And you mentioned these these statues. There's a couple of points about that. You know, why why is a statue been up for so long? The other point is, you look at when these statues were put up. Edward Colston died in 1721. Um, the, the, the the abolition of slavery happened through the early 19th century, 1833, the, the, the sort of final full uh, banning of slavery in this country, the statue of Colston went up in 1895 and has stood there for 125 years. Yeah. Robert Clive died in disgrace in 1774. Even by the standards of 18th century Britain, he was seen as beyond the pale. They put up a statue to him in 1912. This was the period when we were trying to airbrush our own history and brush it. And let's talk about this. You know, you'll be brushing our history under the carpet. No, you're getting it out from under the carpet, not just under the carpet, but under the great plinths that have been put on top of the carpet. Robert Clive is one of the biggest shysters in our illustrious national history of, of, of shysterism. At the time, the Viceroy of India, Lord Minto, said it would be needlessly provocative to put up a, a statue of Clive. This was back in the, the early 20th century. Um, and they also put a memorial tablet to him around the same time in Westminster Abbey. Westminster, I mean, Clive was not the most Christian of men. On his, uh, his Tinder dating profile at the time, his <laughs> likes included slaughter extortion looting prostitutes burning down villages and bribery he was described by the aforementioned historian william dalrymple as an unstable sociopath so we can look forward to a statue of boris johnson outside the department of pensions in 150 years time to commemorate his efforts uh, to uh, improve the lot of britain's old people robert clive is more colloquially known as clive of india which as far as figures from britain in the 18th century go is a bad formula of name like white guy of brown country suggests that white guy did not do anything i don't know what nigel of somalia did and i don't want to know (laughs) yeah listen it's all it's been a very spicy uh week uh to be uh, a british indian Uh, and it's been a very spicy week for me to be a british indian pretty much since i was born given that as a british indian I've spent my entire... I was born in Britain, but my family is from India. I've spent my entire life essentially profiting from the plundering of my own ancestors. And that is a difficult <laughs> thing to wrap your mind around. Sort of be like, sorry, Grandma. <laughs> Luckily, I got a great state school to go to. It's very difficult to kind of intellectually wrap your wrap your mind around those kind of ideas. Um, I don't know if I've ever spoken about this uh, on the podcast before, but my, uh, my great uncle... Um, was uh, an Indian soldier, an Indian freedom fighter, um, who was shot in the back by British troops. Um, And he retired uh, on a full military pension. 
And it's been a, a great source of pride for me uh, to know that, uh, to know that he was, um, you know, a man who devoted his life and, uh, you know, risked his own personal safety um, for the sort of abstract idea of freedom. Like, that's something that I've always been very proud of. But I've always been secretly more proud that he was shot in the back, which means that when he got there and realised they had guns, he ran away. Because to me, that is the ultimate ideal. Somebody who is principled, but also fundamentally sensible. <laughs> That's the cool my way. If our family had a family crest, it would be a picture of a lion hiding sensibly. <laughs> uh, Robert Buckland, the Justice Secretary on uh, BBC's Question Time, said, you cannot escape history, and it would be fundamentally dishonest of us through removing our statues and airbrushing our history to pretend that all was well. You know, totalitarian regimes do that. And when he said you cannot escape history, surely this week has proved that more than any other. This is history <laughs> coming back for us. Um, we've been trying to escape it for hundreds of years. Um, fundamental dishonesty is, for example, putting up a statue of Edward Colston without saying what he actually did. And, you know, totalitarian regimes do that. Oh, I guess totalitarian regimes might, for example, put up a statue of uh, Robert Clive 150 years after he was active. The circumstances of Robert Clive's death are still shrouded in some mystery. Um, but there are a lot of people who believe that he killed himself. Um, and he didn't be there was no suicide no I, I'm not quite sure what the derivation of the theory is but at the time Samuel Johnson reflected the sort of view as to why he thought Robert Clive might have killed himself and this is a direct quote from Samuel Johnson he said that Clive had acquired his fortune by such crimes that his consciousness of them impelled him to cut his own throat now why are we building statues of him even he thought he sucked <laughs> I, I would be into a statue of him cutting his own throat <laughs> well, maybe, that's, maybe we need yeah this... I, I propose a campaign to have a statue of me teabagging Robert Clive's corpse <laughs> well you know if you're going to have your statue of Colston you also have to have a statue of you know a hundred thousand uh, Africans that he trafficked to to the Caribbean. I mean, it, but if we do that in all our cities, it's going to make the traffic an absolute nightmare. Uh, and this idea that it's erasing the past, as suggested in various newspaper editorials and political speeches, but it's not erasing them. You don't go to an archaeological dig, do you? And someone says, oh, I've got something. And you say, oh, what have you erased there with your shovel? What have you erased out of the ground? Oh, it's some artefacts that tell us all about the past. Lovely bit of erasing, but we really want to learn from them and educate people about them. So why don't you you bury them again, but even f***ing deeper this time. That is the best way to learn. The only thing that's making me feel better this week is that uh, America has also succumbed to the statues-based discourse. Um, Tom Cotton, uh, who's a senator who recently caused controversy by writing an op-ed in the New York Times, uh, which he could have saved himself a lot of time uh, in regards to simply by writing the words, I am a c***, such a big c***, <laughs> la 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 la, I'm a big old c***, everybody hates me because I am a c***. Who's a c I'm a c a big old f***ing c The end. P.S. I'm a c uh, Tom Cotton, that guy, suggested that the Washington Monument, if things continue the way that they're going, will be replaced with something called the Obelisk of Wokeness, which is what I recall my penis. Although, full disclosure, it is less an obelisk and more a poorly maintained, crumbling relic of wokeness. <laughs> 
There's another thing that the, the idea. I mean, these, these Trafalgar Square statues. The idea that most people don't know who is on these statues. So, so what does it? What does it even matter? Well, yeah, sure. Most people don't know because most people don't care about history. Some of us do know what is on these plinths because we recorded a radio show a couple of years ago about the physical legacy of the empire <laughs> with Anne of Abbey and had to do some research, having never given it a moment's f-ing thought before, and then had to look it up again when writing this bit to remind ourselves because we'd 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 forgotten. So, but you know, I, I'm British. History is what I decide history is. What's what's weird about the statue thing is like these some of these people like Churchill. I sort of Churchill was a head of state. I get it, but Colston was just a businessman of his age. Like, and so like what? How did we decide that those people should get? St- I mean, if we to uh, the way I, what I'm trying to think about is like if we were to do it now, if someone said, "Look, we want to put a statue in the middle of the town plaza." Of our great captains of industry, we have a statue of Mark Zuckerberg ready to go. Would that be a good idea? <laughs> it, the, it would be a great idea because the speed at which that... That would be the first statue to be defaced as it was being put up. <laughs> it, would be de- it would be defaced by the men installing it uh, <laughs> while they were putting it up. <laughs> <laughs> And one final, well, two final points. One, I think we've learned also this week that nuance is f***ed. It's totally f***ed. No 12 ways about it. It's 110% dead <laughs> nuance. And if I can rework my own words here, I think maybe one of the questions we have to ask is is this. Is reducing massively complex issues of politics, history and society to oversimplified binary viewpoints right or wrong? <laughs> and until... <laughs> Until we get answers to that question, I'm not sure we can move on. <laughs> Andy, you've just elegantly summarised the inherent problem in the way the news has been presented for the entirety of the 21st century. Well played. Well played. Just briefly, if I may uh, get uh, get something off my chest, um, I have sort of... Uh, you know, this in British comedy at the moment, there's been a bit of a schism uh, because on both sides of the Atlantic, uh, it isn't just statues that are coming down. It's uh, sort of arcane uh, pieces of culture that are being taken off streaming platforms because they're now deemed to be uh, offensive. Uh, you know, I sort of think a couple of things here. Firstly, I think that whilst it's always important and culture is an ongoing conversation and it's always important to update your cultural references depending on the morality of the day that's just the way that things work uh, but at this time I do think this is sort of a distraction tactic uh, you know and is slightly taking the focus off the cultural moment that is going on right now and you know there are slightly more important issues and you know there's a part of me that thinks or maybe talking about television programs and sitcoms is maybe a bit of a distraction I don't really know where I land on this but what I do know is guys come on it was ages ago Gone with the Wind has been taken off HBO Max because attitudes to slavery have changed since the 1930s. And in Britain, the sketch show Come Fly With Me has been removed from the streaming service Britbox because it featured blackface. And guys, attitude to blackface has changed so much since Come Fly With Me first aired in 2010. It was a different time. It was 2010. We'd only just recently got iPads. We had all sorts of questions like, is this a big iPhone? And should we do blackface? It was very confusing. 
that brings us to the end of this week's uh, this week's bugle. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you can in- enjoy, enjoy doesn't seem the right word to be honest. But um, uh, it's if uh, you're moved to if you listen to the podcast and uh, and are move are so moved, go ahead and set a police car on fire. <laughs> Yeah. Alternatively, you can join our voluntary subscription service. It's up to you. Whichever, whichever way you want to do it, you can join Bugle Voluntary. Just go to thebuglepodcast.com and click click the donate button. Yeah, we're not telling you how to live your life. We're just giving you the options. Not saying either one is right or wrong. Just as long as you've got all the facts to make your own decisions. Uh, don't forget to join us either uh, on time or afterwards for the Bugle Live, live-streamed live quiz uh, Saturday, tomorrow night, Saturday the 13th of June. Uh, Chris's head is uh, going to explode with the technological marvels that he is going to achieve. <laughs> and there will be a lot of ridiculous questions and genuine factual answers. Um, thank you very much for listening. NATO, uh, you just said you've started a new uh, new podcast. You can you tell us... Uh, yeah, I I, I, uh, I started a new podcast, stroke, relaunched an old podcast. Uh, it is called The Bituation Room, um, and I, uh, I am the sidekick to my friend Francesca Fiorentini, comedian, uh, journalist, and host, uh, and we live stream Sunday nights at 6 p.m. Uh, California time, and then the, the video stays up and the podcast uh, usually comes out on Monday, uh, and it's a mix of comedy and then chat with... Uh, Political smart people. Uh, Nish, anything to plug? Uh, just, uh, just plugging um, good vibes. Just good vibes. Have some good vibes. Yeah. Um, right. If how much uh, do you get paid to do that, Nish? Well, you know, I've been in the pocket of big vibe for many a decade, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you if you fancied kicking some money uh, towards the Stephen Lawrence Trust, I uh, had a bit of a. Slightly lost my temper this afternoon with uh, some tweets the British Prime Minister had done. Um, and so, <laughs> as a kind of ultimately futile, but made me feel better for five minutes gesture of protest, uh, I've donated some money uh, off his back um, to the Stephen Lawrence Trust, uh, who do lots of very good work in helping people with disadvantaged backgrounds. Um, so you could do that if that's something you feel like doing. But I'm not telling you how to live your life. Thank you for listening, Buglers. We'll be back next week. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs>